Hi, and welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. Um, we're here today to talk about uh, how large agile teams should collaborate. Um, with us today, we've got M Campbell Pretty. Hi, uh, um, I'm Em. I'm a SPCT from Context Matters and blogger at prettyagile.com. And Terry Yin. Hi, uh, my name is Terry Yin. I'm an agile coach from uh, RDE Singapore. Uh, I'm originally from China and I'm now working in Singapore. And Hamish Tedeschi and Matt Wynn. Hi. Hi. G'day. <laughs> That's better. Why didn't you say good day, Em? What's wrong with you? Are you trying to... Uh, I, I don't trying know. To, trying to assimilate to our culture. Thanks. I, I am. I am. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be judged. <laughs> so I think the, thir- the first thing I'd like to understand is, um, can someone describe what the problem is with uh, large teams and agile? Uh, for for me, the the uh, first time I had a, a problem with large teams and, and agile, I was a business sponsor of uh, some multi million dollar program of work with six teams across four projects, all doing their own very agile thing. But when you're trying to understand um, what that means in terms of a program of work and progress and how it fits together and and all of that that's a really hard thing to do when everyone's doing their own thing so that was um, probably the first time I I encountered that problem yeah and I, I, I guess from my perspective being involved in one like agile project which is 120 plus people just uh, the fact that each team seemed to work well but when you're trying to join up things like integrate things it was a nightmare so trying to understand how things uh integrated to what other teams were doing uh i think that's that's where problems lie i think there there, there are some unique problems but but saying which one is not scalable uh, is like to say uh, which one is uh, cannot be done uh, in an agile way right so i find it's a bit uh, kind of a leading question that's interesting though, because I mean that was going to be my question was about how the value scale because I was thinking about the challenges of getting you know like Em was talking about getting kind of larger groups to coordinate their effort and um, the natural thing that I would imagine people tend towards there is to start having you know contract negotiation rather than collaboration between the teams. So people have made commitments to one another and then you've got a clear idea of you can get on and do your bit of work expecting that somebody else is going to do their bit of work. Um, and, you know, it becomes harder and harder to to uh, prioritise collaboration over contract negotiation, for example. And I, I was that was one of the things I was wondering about is sort of in your experience, like which of the values are, are the hard ones to to hold on to at scale as you start to, because in, in a small tight team that are all co-located, it's re, you know relatively easy context. I can imagine in a big distributed context, it can get really hard. And I wondered where, you know, which are the hard ones to hang on to? Uh, I think uh, those are too general and too abstract. It's probably very hard to say uh, which one uh, tend to have more problems when you have a large scale. Uh, there are 12 specific, uh, more detailed principles uh, behind these four values in the uh, Agile Manifesto, I think those are probably more uh, e- easier because they, they are more detailed. 
I think uh, something like uh, the uh, the uh, uh, working software part is more likely to uh, be challenged. Uh, for example, in Safe, there's this agi- uh, architectural runway, uh, which kind of uh, tend to go before uh, working software, for example. So it can be hard to keep on kind of continuously incrementing at the scale of multiple teams at the same time, because I like having them integrating their work on a daily basis across the teams that it kind of adds a lot of communication overhead when, when things don't integrate. Kind of my interpretation of agile was that um, we break down things into small manageable chunks. And when you have a lot of teams doing a lot of small manageable chunks, then it becomes, uh, it becomes, there needs to be some sort of guidance uh, at scale. So some sort of, um, for lack of a better word, program management, which yeah, it scares me, but at the same time, it, I think it's required. I think the the trick to to scaling is is how do you how do you stay true to those values? So I was thinking about you. You started with that um, question around collaboration and and contract negotiation, and and you know, there's certainly there's a lot more negotiating because there's a lot more moving pieces. Um, but I think when it works best is is when you you've got actually people collaborating so you know i'm i'm a huge fan of of um you know yes i do a lot of safe stuff but when i do um safe stuff i do it with a very strong focus on culture so for me it's very much around how do you build a team of teams that is one team and and when you create one large team you have collaboration at the at the heart of it um so that's always been my my take to to save for making these things work. I think it it only really works well if you try to hold true to to those values. And how can you actually do that? How can you wait make one team out of say 120 people? <laughs> um, the for me, it's it's actually I think probably the the first thing is around our identity. Um, so you know when we when we create our agile teams, yeah, you know, we're very good at you know they get goofy names and everyone goes oh cool it's an agile team. Um, so what what I do a lot when I and I you know I spend a lot of time bringing teams of teams of teams together. We say well what's what's the name for for this team? What's what's this group? Um, and what's the what's the logo and what's the t-shirt and what's our theme song and and who are we? Um, you know, same way we you know follow football clubs and and all that sort of sort of jazz. Um, and and creating relationships that go beyond those those teams. So you know, the the first time I really did this, we started with a. Uh, Bringing everyone together at the beginning of every sprint, um, so you know, the hun- hundred odd people, an hour at the beginning of every sprint, everybody comes to together, and and we would use that time to you know share messages, but also to just get them to play together. So you know, learning activities and 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 things of that nature, and we mix the the crew up across the multiple teams, so they start to develop relationships outside their their agile team and and we saw that that started to work when you'd walk around the floor and you'd see that people had were you know outside their normal team space because they'd formed a relationship with someone they knew that person could solve their problem when they had a problem they walked across the floor and they went and found someone who could help 
Um, so it takes discipline. So you know, we put a lot of time into doing that, but it's certainly possible. Well, I was just thinking what you were t- t- saying, Hamish, was was that you were worried about things needing to have kind of top-down steer and that you felt uncomfortable with that. And like that is absolutely sort of the antithesis of self-organization, right? Like what's good about a small-scale agile is that it works bottom-up, that people are making – decision-making is devolved and people close to the problems make the make the solutions themselves. Um but yeah, trying to scale that on the scale of teams of teams seems like a, a big challenge. But yeah, if you can kind of break down the barriers between the teams and help them to feel like one big team, I imagine that's yeah, that's quite an important piece of work to maintain that sort of the the actual day to day practice of self organization. So, is there an argument to say that we should be? Um almost swapping people around uh, teams between sprints, or is that just madness? I mean, in a truly cross-functional, in a truly cross-functional team, uh, everyone should be able to do everything or, you know, everyone has specialisms. It's probably one of those things that I'd say yes in balance, right? So um, we want teams to be persistent because we want them to, to gel. I don't necessarily think that, you know, that we should be moving them around. But I've certainly found that what happens when I, mean, I call it a tribe, right? When you get this this team of teams as as one team, the the tribe supports itself the same way the agile teams, you know, they get together and they solve problems. When they're one team, one big team solving a one big problem, then they start to swap team members around. They'll say, "I'll borrow these people for a few weeks, and you can have him yeah. and these people." And and we try very very hard to say. I don't think it's the role of management to make those changes. It's a, you know, management. Yes, you've identified a problem, but hey, you're all you're all grown ups, and you can all see what needs to be done here. So, how are you as a team of teams going to solve this problem? Yeah, I I think I've uh, I've uh, uh, some experience with both uh, both uh, large scale uh, framework. One is less, the other is uh, safe. I think both uh, has a tendency to adopt a long term team. And uh, how long term can it be? Uh, it really depends on the uh, the situation. I the first Scrum team I created like ten years ago. I was informed last year that the team doesn't exist anymore. So the team was there for like nine years, and uh, and uh, the the member come and go. And last year there was only one guy who was there, uh, but at the moment I will, I created. It's in a it's in a uh, organization around uh, uh, five hundred developers. Uh, in a smaller organization, uh, it, it belongs to it, it has one hundred uh, around one hundred developers, I think. Uh, and that was a large scale Scrum adoption. And uh, uh, even in such a large uh, organization, uh, things uh, kind of just like software has coupling and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, cohesion. Uh, and uh, usually we prefer decentralized technique for uh, solving problems with a self-managing team. So uh, that's why uh, techniques like a Scrum of Scrum doesn't really work because it's a centralized uh, technique. Uh, and uh, it, it, you also feel a sense of control there, right? Because it's kind of a centralized, it's easier to have a broad view from the top. But uh, if you really want a self-managing team, we we uh, we tend to uh, 
uh, adopt uh, decentralized techniques. And in both frameworks, uh, they have uh, lean, uh, lean thinking at, at, its, at their core. And one of uh, the things they have in common is respect people. That's uh, also the uh, foundation of uh, agile development. It's interesting. It really sounds to me like it, it's actually quite a disruptive thing to do to an organization because most of the organizations I encounter that are y- using Scrum or some, well, it's, you know, 99% of them are using Scrum as their implementation of an agile process. The outside of the boundaries of the Scrum team, and, and often it leaks into the Scrum team as well, it's still a very autocratic organization. It's still very hierarchical. You know, the, you, you, the decisions come from the top and, and trickle down and people just have to follow orders. Um, but it sounds like to make this work, you've actually got to get those people who are used to having quite a lot of say and control to let go of a lot of that control and to allow self-organization to happen at scale as well, which must be quite a disruptive thing to do, isn't it? I mean, do people know what they're getting into? Am I, am I right about that? Do people get upset? I think so. I, I think it's very hard for people to let go. I mean, my experience is where on large-scale Agile is where they form this Scrum of Scrum, which is essentially just a steering committee which stands up. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, they're, and they're, make, they're making all the same decisions. They're just... Uh, and they're they're ordering people around just the same, and you end up with twelve agile teams, which become twelve silos, and people don't mix. Uh, it's it's awful. So uh, yeah, I, I I I've never seen it work. I want to see it work, but I you know you have to come and hang out with me sometime. <laughs> oh, I'm more than happy to. So 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 is that right, Emma? I mean, do you, do, you, do you find it's quite it's quite a disruptive thing? I hate that word disrupt, but I can't think I can't think of a better word. Are you disrupting the organizational paradigm? Yes, and and then you know we want to disrupt the organizational <laughs> paradigm, right? It's um, yeah. it's yeah, yeah. Generally, you know, most of the time that we're we're introducing safe and launching agile release trains, we're doing it in waterfall organizations, um, and release trains are absolutely brilliant at, at challenging the organization's existing constructs. Um, and they, and that can be you know quite quite powerful in terms of starting to actually uh, create change in the broader organisation. Can you define what a release train is, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, agile release train is a um, long-lived, persistent team of agile teams, uh, generally somewhere between fifty and one hundred and twenty-five people. Uh, they all uh, work on the the same sprint cadence. Um, so they all work on generally on two-week sprints, all on the same cadence. Everyone starts on the same day and, and finishes on the same day. And they also have this construct called a program increment, which is a like a Uber sprint or a super sprint where they plan in eight, 10 or 12-week uh, increments, which is one of the ways that, that helps trains inside um, large waterfall organisations deal with the outside world um, because you actually create a, a mid-range planning as opposed to just um, sprint to sprint planning, but it's not not unlike the um the the construct of uh, release planning in in Scrum, or at least the Scrum I was taught. <laughs> I think it's interesting. We've sort of we've we've start we we started with them talking about guidance and the business understanding the whole picture, and we've kind of come back to it a little bit. And I'm I'm really interested in how you encourage the business to kind of present work to these large teams so that it can be 
broken up by the teams? Is that how it works? Or do you have to work hard to break work up so you know where the work's going between the teams? Um, I believe you've got to bring the business on the journey. So, you know, we, the business has to learn that, you know, smaller things move faster and small batches are, are better and smaller, smaller ideas are going to get us a better economic outcome. Um, you know, we, when we introduce SAFE into an organisation, we, we train everybody and, and we train everybody, we train the business and, and the technology teams and, and good trains are trains that embrace both the, the business and technology side and, and everybody works together. I've not had a lot of experience with um, trains being like forced on the business. It, it tends to be one of those things where everyone's looking around and there's a problem and everyone's looking for a solution and, and everyone comes together around this as, a, as an answer. Um, but certainly when it comes to, to breaking stuff down, you know, we're, I guess when we use SAFE, we focus very much on that weighted shortest job first construct, which basically says if it's small and valuable, it'll go to the top of the pile in terms of prioritisation. And that teaches the business when they come up with these huge ideas that they're never going to get prioritised. So we, we help them dig open those big ideas and, and find inside them the small valuable chunks. And, and once they get it, they get it. But how do they know that it's small? I mean, a lot of the times I, uh, I, business people come and say, oh, I've got this problem or I've got this idea. I want to, uh, I want to just do this. Just let's do it. You know, it's, it seems very small to them, but they might not understand the underlying, uh, it might take six weeks to code, for instance. Um, so one of the, the beauties of, of, of SAFE to, to me is the, the large-scale um, uh, planning meetings. So you know, I spoke about that um, Uber Sprint or program increment. There's a two-day all-hands planning meeting at the um, beginning of each of those increments. And in that two days, we have the business and the technology teams working together and it changes the entire dynamic of the relationship between business and IT because you've got a business people sitting at the table saying, this is what I want, and they are watching developers break down that work, size that work, work out how long it's going to take them to do, and, and we don't – I've actually never come out of a release planning meeting with somebody going, can't we get more out of this team because everybody was in it together. Everybody saw – yeah. what the ask was and what the plan is and what can and can't be done. And the trust is there because they, they did it together. Um, so I find that to be a really powerful construct. That's, that's actually quite interesting because, the well, I, I mean, I, obviously I do a lot of BDD coaching and when I see the best results when I lock a whole team in a room and I just say they cannot leave. And inevitably the, the product owners or the BAs will get halfway through the day and they'll say, Hey, we've done our bit. Can we leave now? And I just say no. You're staying in for the whole day. And and by the end of it, they they realise the the benefit, but they don't they don't at the middle of the day, especially when the developers are just stuck, got their head in coding. They really they're just not interested at all. But it's trying to sort of break down that barrier to say, hey, you just... have to take them past the breaking point. Absolutely, yeah. You have to take them through the pain barrier. I agree. Yeah. And it is interesting that they realise the kind of the effort that does actually go in. It's not just a click of a button. In large organisations, uh, people tend to work in silos and uh, in their uh, uh, working according to the uh, the uh, the bigger design rather than the business value. I have a I had a client uh, not too long ago, so they are 
perfectly okay writing uh, use case like uh, test cases. It's like uh, all the steps very clear. And uh, I asked them to translate this test case into something like a BDD style. And they just simply couldn't, like given when then. They just cannot do that. Because everything, every time they, 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 uh, they, everything they write doesn't make sense. It doesn't look like a business language. And I asked them to retry, like rewrite like five times. And eventually we realized actually nobody understands what does it do. And we, we obviously understand how does it do it, but uh, we have no idea what does it do. That means uh, people don't really uh, understand the business. Maybe, uh, maybe each individual doesn't understand, but when they, they come together, all the pieces kind of make sense. Let's hope so. But, but again, that's, that, that, may, that may be a problem with uh, people's understanding of BDD when they think BDD is about writing given when then and that kind of stuff when really it's got, it, I personally try and take them away from that. Do not do that. That's the worst thing they can do, especially if they've never had any experience with it because they're going to, I was going to swear there, but they're going to not <laughs> do it right. <laughs> <laughs> they usually start by writing a scenario outline. That's what I find. Really? That's the first uh, thing. Yeah, okay. I, uh, yeah. I, I want to tear my hair out when I see that. Um, well, I mean, I, yeah, I'll give you an example. Someone uh, I've just seen, they thought that you, you could only have one given, one when and one then on any scenario. And so they, they've written 500 scenarios with three lines each. That's all they... Uh, it's, you know that that's great. That's you know they've really put the effort in there, but uh, they're kind of missing the point. Yeah, I still find it useful because uh, the the case I, I was looking at is like um, uh, every step in a scenario is very clear. You can clearly see what's what's going on, what's happened. But what does it mean uh, if you can translate it into a language like given in this situation? When I do this, then I get this value. Uh, it, it, it helps people to understand the business value, right? Uh, but uh, the, it's actually a test just to see uh, whether the team can, can do it or not. It, seems, it turns out they cannot. They just don't know uh, what's the value of this or which part is the, the reason, which part is the result. Uh, there was a uh, question about uh, uh, disruptive, right? Uh, and I don't know if you heard about the Laman's law of organizational behavior. It's more like a tongue-in-cheek kind of uh, law. Uh, it says culture follow, uh, your, your culture follows your uh, organizational structure. Actually, uh, culture is important, but uh, actually it's decided by your organizational structure. So in order to change the culture, you need to change the structure. And if you adopt Scrum, Scrum is actually just changing the organizational structure. So, uh, so, so if you really want to change the uh, uh, change the culture, you need to adopt Scrum. Yeah, it's just that I see Scrum as having uh, it's possible to implement Scrum without really having that much effect on the overall organizational culture. Like you can change the culture of an individual team, but there is still a hierarchy of middle managers and and executives above them who are calling all the shots and. Um, having the steering committees and stuff and it sounds as though actually for and this has always been my my intuition is that for agile to actually work you need to break that hierarchy and decentralize a lot more of the decision making and it sounds like i'm i'm right that that is what you do which which must be fascinating to see that actually playing out in organizations if if i was a an executive uh, well who is it that typically approaches you 
to to come in and and do your work uh, implementing this large scale um, agile, this scaled agile framework or, or, or large scale scrum, which kind of a, like what level of, of person is it that approaches you to do it? And how do you go about doing that work? Do you just, you know, start softly, softly one team at a time add, add a second team, build it out? Or do you just kind of like close the doors and get everybody in a room and, you know, brainwash an entire department, for 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 a week and then and get going and, and change the whole world what what do you do is it big bang or step by step and how does it work uh so i'm mainly approached by uh senior leaders and execs in in large organizations um middle management or, or senior level execs looking to in some way deal with some pain they're experiencing uh tends to have two flavors one is Agile is really not going very well um, and the other is we need to go Agile but we're big and therefore we have a, a scaling problem. So, you know, really people come and talk to me because they perceive they have a, a problem with Agile in a scaled. Oh, like we can't even do, we can't even try Agile because we're so big. Yep. Yep. And these are novices. Um, or... We're doing Agile and we're big and it's not going very well. One of those two things tends to be the start of a, a conversation. Um, my approach is actually very much to work with uh, leadership around um, what, what is the pain they're feeling and, and how and if um, you know, we can help them through an implementation of SAFE and, a, and an Agile release train. Um, you know, it's not it's not for everybody. That that's um, for sure. Uh, but you know, that's sort of the lens that we're we're looking at the world through. And generally, if people come to us, they want to talk about safe anyway. Um, it's my my background is actually as a one of those terrible middle management people. Um, so I actually spend a lot of time with middle managers, helping them understand how they need to uh, start to change to to make a difference in their world. Um, we always start with a two-day, uh, what's called a leading safe course. Put all the IT leaders and business leaders, about twenty um, people, in a room for for two days, and we have a conversation around lean leadership, product development flow, um, and what it means to to implement safe. Most of those conversations result in people going, "Actually, I see sense in this, and here's a problem that I think we should." should use to, to test this idea out. Um, when we launch, which you know, becomes a decision to, to launch an Agile release train, which is generally um, a, an exercise that has something like a eight-week give-or-take runway because over that eight-week period, you're going to um, establish teams or if you already have teams, you're going to establish that those are the, the right teams. Um, you're going to start to define a backlog, um, and and I actually like to use definition of, of ready. Coming back to your earlier conversation around what is a what is a good backlog to for a team to start with. We talk about features, so chunks of work that have business value that can be delivered in under an eight week period, um, and we try and get our the business to work with us to define them in such a way that you have this piece of value with an acceptance criteria um, and we get them prioritised, again, with the business using that 
weighted children's job first and we take those uh, top 10 or so features into that two-day planning event. Preceding that two-day planning event, we've formed the teams, we've rubbed the backlogs and we've done two days of um, scrum, safe scrum XP training, which is really team-level training, scrum, extreme programming. This is how it works. We use their real work, so we take those features in and they they learn they learn if they haven't done agile before, they learn through using their, their real work in the classroom. If they've done agile before, what we're doing is level setting yeah. everyone. So same language, same jargon. We all do scrum in the same way. Um, and immediately following the the two days of training, we do the two days of, of planning and, and they're off. So, you know, generally there's something like a eight week give or take period from the point that somebody's saying, you know what, this is the right thing to do. Um, and, and them actually starting that journey. So I guess it's a little bit of that, um, what do you say, putting everyone in a room and brainwashing them for a week? <laughs> Not really, but it, you did make me laugh when you said that. And so, so starting with those middle, middle managers sounds important because I can imagine that they get a bit scared when, when you start talking about kind of get pushing decision-making down, like what am I going to do anymore? Absolutely. So starting with those people and helping them understand that lead- leadership can be different is probably really important. Terry, how do you get started? I was lucky enough to be involved in uh, Nokia Network's first large-scale Scrum adoption. Uh, and I think in theory, both uh, frameworks says you need to adopt it, adopt it in a revolutionary way. So let's uh, like uh, save. Uh, when, when you do save, you need to uh, uh, kickstart with a two-day, I think it's a release planning meeting, and then the whole release train start to work. Uh, for safe, it's relatively easy because safe didn't say anything about the organizational structure, so it can it can be a uh, it can be a matrix stru- uh, organization, no problem. So you can they can be a kind of a project teams. Uh, you can still uh, run Scrum or or Kanban, no problem. Uh, and uh, in in large scale Scrum, uh, it says you need to adopt it at once. So for example, if you have an organization with eighty people. Uh, you need to start doing Scrum at once. And actually, I was in such a transi- uh, 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 transformation like 10 years ago. We just have everybody uh, in, a, in, a, in a big meeting room and telling everybody, your, your, uh, your old team, uh, they don't exist anymore, team leaders, and they're not team leaders anymore. And uh, we had, uh, I was one of the managers organizing this. Uh, we had a... Uh, I think 11 uh, papers, uh, flip charts on the wall. Uh, basically, it has some different uh, kind of a skill groups, uh, very loose uh, skill groups, and ask people to find their own team. You, can, you, can, you, you need to fulfill all these uh, 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 skills in a team. And for the other criteria, you can de- decide by yourself. So, so people just go there randomly and find their friends and make their criteria. Like each team need to have like at least two, pe- two people have cars uh, so that they can go out. And at least there's a, there's a, a, should be at least a girl, something like that. And uh, so, uh, so it's just like an overnight re- uh, revolution. Uh, it, it was, uh, it didn't work. <laughs> Actually, uh, you know, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, 
uh, in the in the, in the beginning we were pretty happy and uh, because it's a very large product in a half a year uh, or even one year later you know inside Nokia you know what people say is like uh, what you want to do agile or you want to do scrum well if you do that you'll be you'll be just like them and uh, so it took us like about uh, one and a half to two years to recover and uh, since then uh, the whole like Nokia network organization start to kind of uh, come to uh, this organization and start to learn from them. So I think I've got one good qu- quick question to finish on, if you don't mind, is if, if somebody wants to ask me at a job interview, um, if you were going to take just one of your agile practices, if you could only keep one, which one would you keep? And I thought it was a really good question. And I thought about it quite hard. And I thought I would keep retrospectives because if I have retrospectives, then I can invent all the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, that's my question to you two, is if you were going to just keep one of your practices from your your scaling frameworks in in a in the context of trying to implement this, but you can only take one, which one would you which one would you keep? Which one is, is the one that's closest to your heart? You can't have the lot. Look at it. I know clearly. I always know which one, uh, which one I need to keep. keep. You, you know which one. Yeah, I always know. Yeah. It's the uh, review. It's the review. Review is the most important meeting. Yeah, it's the most important meeting. That's, review is the learning moment for the organization. So is that like an a organization-wide retrospective? No, it's, um, it's because it's uh, around, the whole organization is, about, uh, is, uh, around, uh, is built around the product. And review is uh, about the product. So you are, you are learning from what you right. make. make. Right, and uh, during that uh, at that moment, business people just had a, a whole sprint of experience with their uh, businesses, right? And the developers just had a whole sprint of their uh, development. So it's a moment of uh, learning, and, and they just made something working software. So there's a lot of things ready to mix together mm-hmm. to create new learning. So it's the big learning moment mm-hmm. for the organization. Retrospective is only for the team. So it's, uh, it's relatively not that important. And I personally have very bad experience with that. How about you, Em? Have you managed to whittle it down? I'd probably have to go with the, uh, the, the two-day release planning meeting. It's an incredibly powerful experience. We do that on Cadence. And if you just did that, would you still move forward? Yeah, I think I think you would. I think it'd be a shame not to to have some of the you know retrospectives and, and other things in there. But if I go, you know, what's the what's if there is magic? You know, I think I've heard Dean say this. There's no magic in in safe, but if there is, it's, it's in release planning, and 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 that's yeah, you know, it's a pretty powerful thing. Put 150 people in a room for two days and say, come up with a plan. And, and commit to delivering it. Uh, and I think there's there's something in that. And as long as you do that, you do that on cadence, I think you'll move forward. The only, the only, thing, I've, the only thing I've been thinking about is how you keep teams being able to do their own continuous improvement with retrospectives. If they've got this kind of framework sat above them that's um, specifying how they have to work, how does the ideas that come out of like team retrospectives, how are they able to flow back up through the organisation and, and kind of, get like local improvements that work and that you push to other teams. I'm, I'm just interested in how that would work in this kind of um, what feels like 
and I may be misunderstanding what feels like a top-down approach to organising. I think probably one of the things that's you know, possibly misunderstood about SAFE is at the team level. It's just Scrum. Scrum and XP. So you know those teams are all doing retrospectives at the end of, of every sprint. Um, and because we have the Uber yeah. sprint, we also have a, a, a program-wide or train-wide retrospective style event at the end of the, the program increment. So they call it inspect and adapt. And it's that whole idea of um, showcasing all the, the work. Here's everything we delivered over that program increment. Um, and what are our systemic issues across the train, across the program? And we do a, a large problem-solving workshop. So, um, you know, very much using those uh, lean problem-solving tools, um, you know, your five whys and, and what have you, and, and coming up with what can, again, what can we as a team of teams do to improve the systemic issues in our world? Um and I also wanted to overlay a couple of um, things that I like to do that aren't particularly in SAFE, but you know, I was listening to, to Steve um, ask a question, they they came to, to mind. One of the things I'm, I'm a fan of is something we created called a, a bubble up and taking those retrospectives that the teams are doing every week and saying to the team, once they've finished their retrospective, um, there'll be some things that they're going to take on to, to work on themselves, you know, they're one thing they're going to improve next sprint. But what what can what are the things that they need management to take take hold of for them, and and the we'd have all the teams come together um, after the retrospective on the final day of the sprint and bring those problems back to leadership. Um, we'd start to see where the systemic issues are. We'd see teaming around the the teams actually starting to help each other solve those problems. But more importantly, um, you know, I believe that the role of leadership is to to solve the to you know, improve the system of work, right? Solve the problems for the people who are, are working right. in the system. Yeah, and definitely in an, in an adoption situation like that, that leadership team needs to have a backlog of their own like issues that are coming out of those retrospectives that they need to tackle and deal with. Because I I often think like what I observe happen the first thing that Scrum does is it just kind of, it just throws up a whole load of pain because it just, it shines a light on dysfunction in in the organization that's getting in the way of people getting their work done. And actually, it, if, if you're not careful, it can make the scrum teams quite unpopular because it looks like they're whinging about stuff. But actually what they're doing is, you know, highlighting problems. But you need to have that culture there that's ready to go like, oh, great, thanks for raising that problem. And now I'm going to deal with it and make the world, make our world a better place. Yeah, it's really important. Actually, uh, during my safe training, the trainer uh, keeps uh, saying that uh, this, uh, you need to make sure your first uh, PI, the program uh, incremental, will be successful. That's the key. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keep the scope really small. Uh, yeah, but yes, uh, this kind of uh, create the momentum. Yeah. But my, my, my actually uh, experience about uh, uh, starting a new Scrum team is always like delivering nothing for the first like two or three months. <laughs> I bet you don't say that in the sales meeting though. <laughs> yeah. So if we can carry this conversation on when, when we see you all in Sydney for Q Cup. <laughs> which is, I'm really looking forward to. Um, can, you, can you give us a quick pitch about your workshops? Um, yours is gonna be about collaboration, collaboration heroics. <laughs> yes. And I'm, um, I like the idea of, uh, what is it, B business bingo. Yes. I'm looking forward to learning about that. 
um, uh, so yeah, the, um, the the workshop I'm running is one actually that I learned from from Jean Tabaker. Um, I did. She ran this workshop at a conference a couple of years ago. I um, went on the workshop. I thought it was amazing, and it happened to be the same year she was coming to Australia for Agile Australia. Um, so I said, hey, you know how you're coming to Australia? Could I um, convince you to drop by our offices and run this again with my team, which was the, the Agile release train? Um, and she did. So I got to experience this thing twice in, I don't know, four or five weeks. Um, and she very kindly, um, when, I, when, you know, when we were talking about your um, conference, and I was thinking, ah, you know, I reckon it'd be great. So I dropped her a line and said, you know, that workshop you taught me, <laughs> would you mind terribly? Um, so really um, what it's about is, is just giving people basic collaboration uh, skills. It uh, works really well in a scaled environment, which is one of the reasons that, that um, I've used it in the, in the past, but it will help any, any Agile team um, just with the the basics of collaborating within a team. How do we how do we gather data? How do we process data? How do we reach consensus? How do we work together? How do we hold good meetings, good productive meetings? So um, that's what I'm hoping to achieve in uh, 90 minutes in, in November. That's great. They sound like really valuable skills for for agile teams to have. How about yours, Terry? What's yours about? Uh, yeah, uh, so I, th- I think uh, this is a topic you guys actually are super familiar. Uh, and uh, in Scrum, we have this thing called uh, the product backlog refinement. Usually it's a workshop. Uh, it's, uh, it's now, I think it's now official, a part of the Scrum. And it's also officially the, a part of the large-scale Scrum. Uh, we call it the product, product backlog uh, uh, refinement. It's uh, quite often just a workshop. What we do is uh, some call it uh, a specification by example, and some call it uh, uh, acceptance test driven development. Some call it VDD. It's actually the same thing. Uh, I, I just uh, uh, in the workshop I gave people. Uh, a, uh, idea how to run this kind of thing uh, and uh, what's different in a in a in a uh, in a uh, scaled organiz- uh, scaled up uh, organization. Uh, I will begin with an uh, example for like a one person project. So how do you communicate with your uh, business owner, and, and then uh, uh, to a team and to multiple teams uh, serving one uh, one uh, one customer. Oh, one, one product. Sorry, yeah, and that's the that's the plot. Cool. Yeah, it's not long to go now, Hamish. Uh, yeah, I mean, this has really whet my appetite for uh, learning about how BDD will work in a scaled environment as well. So I'm excited. Okay, so um, thank you very much, everybody. Um, it's been a really interesting conversation. I'm really looking forward to listening back to it and uh, digging out all the nuggets again.